This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This is your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world, along with tips and strategies for maximizing your career in tech. We also bring you interviews with the leading women in the tech industry, talk to youth who are rapidly building their tech knowledge, and review business solutions that will give you insights on how technology is solving business problems. Now, here's your host, Jennifer Didier. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Tech in the Right Direction. I'm your host, Jennifer Didier, President and CEO of Directions Training. Each week, we talk with industry experts about technology trends that are emerging and changing businesses today, the career journey of IT professionals, understanding the world of women in tech, as well as talking to our youth that are rapidly building their technology skill sets. We also review case studies that provide insight into how technology is solving business and world problems. I'm excited about our guest today, so let's get moving in the right direction. This week in our Tech Trends segment, I will be talking with Matthew Calder. Matthew is a Senior Product Marketing Manager at Microsoft, focused on connecting developers with information and resources to help them build cloud-native apps using Azure. In his previous role, he spent five years focused on Microsoft's online training initiatives for technical audiences. Before pivoting his career to helping people build technical skills, he worked in the entertainment industry, creating cloud-based solutions for engaging reality TV fans. Welcome to the show, Matt. I'm so happy to have you on this show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So could you take us uh, through your tech career journey? Can you tell us you know, how you got started and where you are now? Sure. It's actually, I'll, I'll go um, all the way to the beginning. Sure. Um, back in... Uh, 1999-2000, I, I dropped out of a PhD program in comparative literature at the University of Washington. Um, I was learning how to be a professional poetry translator. Um, decided I didn't want to be uh, a university professor. And since it was 1999, you couldn't swing a cat without hitting an internet startup. <laughs> I um, jumped over to, to technology and, and the internet. Very quickly found myself working at Microsoft on the streaming video team. And I was, my job was to do things like write white papers about how in the future people will use streaming media to communicate with customers and educate people and do CEO broadcasts. And at the time, I really, that was my very first experience working in technology and trying to understand how do we figure out what people will need three, four, five years from now? How do we build what they need? And it was a fascinating experience. And I worked on the technology side of streaming video and streaming audio at Microsoft for several years and then left Microsoft for a while and went over to the entertainment side of things where I had the opportunity to actually produce uh, entertainment. I was working on CBS's Big Brother. Our audience would pay $15 a month to get live 24-hour video feeds from the set of the house. Uh, it's sort of survivor-like. They get a dozen crazy people in a house for the summer. <laughs> they can't communicate with the outside world, but they're on camera 24 hours a day. And at that time we were working, it was working for real networks. We licensed it from CBS and it was about 2008 
And we had to make some changes to both keep the experience entertaining and fun, as well as to, to move on to new technology. And at the time, I didn't realize that moving to the cloud was a big deal. We just did it because we didn't have much other choice. Mm -hmm. And so we moved the, the entire infrastructure um, from you know, servers at real networks to an entirely cloud-based solution, um, microservices architecture. And again, all at the same time, we're also producing uh, live video for reality TV fans. And it was a pretty exciting time. We got to do a lot. But after a while, I got tired of the entertainment space and wanted to get back to technology and was very interested in MOOCs, mm -hmm. um, massive open online courses, and things that were going on in that space online. I was really looking for where does community and media come together in real time and wound up back at Microsoft, to my surprise. This was about the same time that Sasha came on board. Mm -hmm. Microsoft Learning was looking to do more online and move what they do uh, from just in-person training, uh, you know, through the traditional mock Microsoft official courseware and figure out different ways to, to reach people more broadly using the internet, get closer to our customers. And it was a fascinating time to be at Microsoft. Uh, I was, instead of working with reality TV stars, I was working with developers. Mm -hmm. uh, we have two of them sitting in front of a camera, sharing their screens, taking questions from the audience. And we'd you know, train you know, a couple thousand people for you know, five to six hour sessions uh, mm -hmm. almost every day of the week. And it was at the time where Microsoft was building out Azure and getting really serious about playing nice with open source and becoming a very different um, different company. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, I remember it was about that time, sometime during that that run, working on on online learning that I saw containers demonstrated for the first time, and they really looked like magic. Mm -hmm. the, the room full of developers I was in was like, oh my, this is going to change everything, and. Um, after after working in in that role for quite a while, five years, Microsoft is a long time. I wound up uh, over in the U.S. subsidiary, no longer at Microsoft Corp, but out in the field, much closer to sales, much closer to customers. And my my current role is I'm, I'm responsible for uh, basically connecting with developers who want to build on Azure, and specifically those who are interested in cloud native apps, microservices architecture, and um, Kubernetes is the is the word of the day for us. So that's um, that's from, awesome. What what a great career journey, and you got to see things before they even became real. You know, if you were talking about streaming video way before we now we're using it, but at that time it wasn't as prominent or developed as it is now. So that's very cool. And yeah, containers is, um, we're hearing that all the time now in, in the industry. So tell us, what is this Kubernetes? What is Kubernetes well, and why should we care? Okay. Um, <laughs> sh should I explain containers quickly? Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, containers, the metaphor comes from shipping containers. Back in the old days, the, you would pay guys named stevedores to load your boats for you. And they just kind of had to fit everything in, no matter how it was shaped. It could be barrels, it could be uh, you know, horses, it could be boxes, it could be a piano, whatever. They just had to figure out how to fit it all into the hold and keep the ship balanced. And it was uh, very much a custom job every time mm -hmm. and a lot of variables. And then when you got it off the ship, you still had to figure out how to put it on a train or a wagon or whatever and carry it away. 
shipping containers changed things radically. Now, when you go past, you know, the port of Seattle, where I'm at, or any, any other major port, you see these stacks of boxes that are all the same size. And you just put your stuff into a shipping container, easy to fit in. They load up the boats pretty quickly compared to the old days. Mm-hmm. And then they're easy to take off the boat and just, it is a self-contained, you know, railroad car or self-contained semi-trailer. And you just keep, you know, take the, the load and keep on going. And so that, that's the, the container metaphor. And when you apply it to application development, particularly for the web, um, you know, you no longer have to worry about, you know, am I developing for what version of Windows Server or is it Linux Server? How, how what plugins do I need? How do I fit everything together? You, you it solves the, all the dependencies mm-hmm. um, that, that come about. You know, you've got your web front end, your back end work, you know, workers, the user database, analytics database, your job queue. Then on the other axis, you might have your development VMs, your QA server, single production server, you know, the developer's laptop that the whole thing was built on. Um, it's kind of a compatibility nightmare. And with containers, you just package up the code and the dependencies, and it can be run anywhere and spun up, spun down, turned on, turned off. And it's, you know, suddenly you can, you know, do app development at scale in a, in a more powerful way and not have to worry about actually maintaining every VM, uh, it's, which can be kind of a pain. The, you're still maintaining machines. So just abstract that away, put it all in a container. Now, if your app fits in one container, great, you're done. Um, but as application development gets more and more complicated, um, you have apps that span multiple containers. They're deployed across lots of servers. They have to, you know, you've got distributed systems. Uh, it, you've got to scale up, scale down, just make sure that everything's running all at once. It gets to be very hard to manage. And so that's when you need container orchestration. And that's what Kubernetes does. Um, Kubernetes gives you the ability to, you know, organate, orchestrate a cluster of virtual machines and schedule the containers to run and maintain the desired state on each of them, make sure they've got the resources that they need and they're each running. And, you know, then you can do continuous integration deployment and development. And it, it, uh, it, it becomes pretty, pretty exciting. I think that's, for right, go ahead. That's pretty fascinating. Um, I also hear that containers um, work really well with the uh, cloud infrastructure because it's so dynamically changing. And so it can keep things current and le- relevant better than, you know, we did it in the old days. Thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's very much a, a cloud native approach uh, to to building things, and the and there are people that like to run their their own implementations of Kubernetes on premise, and those tend to be in the financial services world, mm-hmm. and that's really doing it the hard way. Um, within mm-hmm. Kubernetes, the 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 overall sort of architecture of it, there's a the sort of master node that is the API server that is sort of running everything from it. And within that API server, you've got a controller manager, a scheduler, key value store, um, and it's then communicating out with all the different worker nodes, um, which, and that's where the containers are living and doing, doing the work. But 
maintaining that master node um, and making sure that everything is running, there are a lot of knobs to dial and switches to switch. And um, you've got to deal with that upgrades, patches, reliability, um, scaling itself, healing, monitoring. Um, that's where you know Azure actually steps in or AWS or Google Cloud Platform. Um, we Azure Kubernetes service offers a managed control plane for all of that so that we take away the, the day-to-day management of that and you know your team can focus on just you know deploying your code to the cloud and and which is plenty of work yes um, the uh, you know the the one of the stats that uh, i've seen microsoft quote recently is um and this kind of gives you a sense of where where this technology plays the 77 percent of companies with more than a thousand developers are are using kubernetes today uh, that's from the heptio state earth kubernetes report but that's you know it's it's for large organizations running complicated microservices web-based applications if you've got more than a thousand developers they can do a lot of damage on spinning us spinning stuff up it's very, mm -hmm. Mm, very interesting it's just fascinating when you talk about this technology that's out there um so Tell me a little bit about if somebody wanted to explore Kubernetes and go down a journey of learning, what would that look like? Um, we've got a, a pretty awesome uh, learning path that we've been uh, pushing out there for Microsoft. It's called 50 Days from Zero to Hero mm. with Kubernetes. And if you search for um, you know, Azure Kubernetes Learning Path, it will likely be one of the top or the top result. Okay. Um, and it's a, the learning path that takes you through, day one is actually a, a children's book that we produced. Uh, Fippy goes to the zoo. Fippy is a, a, a giraffe, and they kind of explain the, uh, the different concepts around Kubernetes in, in you know, child children's book form. And it's, mm -hmm. it's actually pretty effective. I've found myself going back to it to check vocabulary myself. Um, that's day one. Uh, days two through five are some short videos with uh, Brendan Burns, he was one of the creators of Kubernetes. Uh, he created it with some other folks while he was at Google. Uh, he, he works with us now. And there, there's about six videos. It takes about 40 minutes to watch all of them. You can get through day two to five you know, in an hour if, you, if you're ambitious. But it walks you through you know, why you should care about containers, how Kubernetes deployment works, uh, you know, how the scheduler works, setting up build pipelines. Um, and then there's day six through 15 are some articles on Microsoft Docs, talk through things like access and identity, cluster security, network concepts for apps, scaling. Then day 16 through 20, we've got a suggestion, suggested hands-on uh, interactive modules on a, it's a website called Katakoda, K-A-T-A-C-O-D-A. And they're interactive modules where you kind of code in a sandbox in the browser, and it'll walk you through you know, concepts like YAML definitions. It's yet another markup language is what YAML mm -hmm. stands for. Uh, networking, using secrets. And so we've got a few you know, 10 to 15 minute exercises that we recommend there um, that get you some hands-on coding experience. Um, Days 21 to 25, we take you through architecture design. And then day 26 and 27 is where it gets really good. Um, 
we've got a workshop that anyone can access. If you also do a search for Azure Kubernetes workshop, the, you'll find the this this workshop that we've got. It was designed to be uh, sort of a almost a hackathon type challenge based workshop. People would come together and spend a day or two actually just getting hands on with this stuff. And so if you've got some experience um, touching the basics and using it, we we take you to the next level. Um, walk through you know, deploying MongoDB with it. Uh, basically, you're building out a um, an e-commerce site, an order capture site. Then we get we get into DevOps, and DevOps is again pretty important. You want to have a healthy governance and DevOps ecosystem and culture in place in an organization. Um, to to really so you don't kind of hit a buzzsaw after you get all this stuff up and running. And then we get into some deeper tasks, um, spinning up new clusters, using key values. And by the end of it, you've touched quite a bit of the Azure Kubernetes service. Um, you've you know, deployed the site. And people who've gone through it have been really happy with the experience and what they learned. Um, and so it's you know, the first, you know, half of this, this learning path is about just getting yourself ready to get hands on with that. And I'll step to the side briefly. Um, my, my team, we're also putting out, um, it'll be a four part series that is also designed to get you to the same point where you'd be able to do the, the workshop. It's a, it's online training that we'll be launching in October. Uh, four modules, each an hour long, that come with hands-on labs. You'll go up on GitHub, walk through the exercises. We'll be able to support you with answering questions. Um, so you, you've got experience with the basics of it, using the tools, spinning stuff up. Um, and then you'd also be able to, do, to go through this workshop as well. So I, I love this 50 days from zero to hero. Um, is there a prerequisite before you start um, this program? Um, I... I, th I don't think so. I think, you know, you want to have basic familiarity with cloud computing. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it helps if you know if you've used containers and containerized an app before. Okay. Um, uh, it's, you'll, you'll, if you're going to get in over your head, you'll get in there pretty fast. <laughs> um, <so laughs> you'll know right away. <laughs> you'll know right away. Now, um, is there a cost for this program? Uh, this program, it, this is a free, uh, th these are all free resources that I'm talking about. If if you, I think if you to do the the workshop, I think I spent about twenty five to thirty dollars on my own Azure subscription, mm -hmm. um, and that was leaving it all the resources up running overnight because I forgot to clean up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty yes. reasonable, and you can probably do most of it with an Azure free trial. That's awesome. Wow. What a great program that Microsoft is putting out um, and all the work that you've put into it. It sounds awesome. I actually want to go try it out. <laughs> so it sounds so great. Um, so let's let's kind of dig a little bit deeper yeah. um, into Kubernetes. So how do you package your code and dependencies into containers? Uh, Docker has really become sort of the, the go-to tool for, for anyone using containerizations. And they've got you know tons of resources about how to how to work with with them and, and tools and the, about that. And there's actually if you go on Microsoft Learn, uh, which is which is a part of Docs where we've got interactive exercises. And if you search for containers or Docker, you'll find some great resources there that will. That's perfect. 
Perfect. Um, some other just deep, deeper dives is, you know, how do you deploy as a microservices? Um, well, with microservices, it's the, the architecture, you know, where you break up and then, you know, it's your app into a bunch of different pieces. So it's, you don't, you can update any piece of it at any time. Um, within Kubernetes specifically, uh, it, it does a great job of making sure that the new version of the site, for example, is running uh, properly in the container, turning off the, the next container that it's going to replace, um, giving it about a minute to finish up any processes so it doesn't just die, mm -hmm. slotting in the new, the, the new version, and just kind of keeping it on a, doing those updates on a rolling basis so that the users will never experience any downtime um, and you'll be able to just deploy out that way. Um, and then, again, this, the, that's sort of the, what Kubernetes is doing. And then in terms of how your team should do it, it's, you know, it's really building on the DevOps ideas around continuous integration and continuous delivery, um, setting up those pipelines. Um, you've got your test deployments, and then moving over to, uh, you know, into production you know, through, through that process as well. Okay. Um, so... We, we talked a little bit about the journey and how somebody learns uh, Kubernetes and really starts to get into it. You talked about the importance of uh, the DevOps uh, process, but how do you manage using the DevOps process and tools? Um, it's, you know, DevOps is kind of a cultural thing as much as the, as merely a technology thing. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that, Building out, you know, a team that's comfortable working together and working in that way is it can be uncomfortable for teams at first. Um, and when it's an unhappy DevOps environment, it can be a real challenge. But it's worth going through the growing pains to get mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. The but I but I think around all of that, there's also a, a, a governance wrapper that you know you need to. The idea of DevOps is that you're always shipping, you're always doing things quickly. You're innovating fast, dialing back when it breaks, and taking another approach. Um, you need, you know, when you've got a lot of different teams hitting the same Azure subscription, for example, you want to have guidance around the subscription management. Mm -hmm. What types of resources are they allowed to, to spin up or not? Um, the Azure policy. Uh, is the, the the service that we have that is sort of the go-to service for that, and we've got some great um, document documentation around um, our sort of governance framework and recommendations around that. Great. So um, thank you for that. This is great information for our listeners. In closing, Matt, uh, how would you? Who would you say is the ideal candidate to start looking into Kubernetes a little bit more? I know containers are becoming a big part of our industry. Um, so what advice would you give of how to get started and who would be the right audience for it? Um, well, I think, you know, go into it with the understanding that it's a journey, mm -hmm. uh, both for the individual developers and teams that have to learn how to use it, as well as for the organization that's going to be that's going to be doing it. So start when, you know, if you need to solve the problem of developing applications at scale and making sure that things are always up and running and well-coordinated, then it's it'll probably sol start solving your problems. But you know, because it's so powerful and flexible, 
um, it's that makes it hard to use. And and so I would, you know, if you're already moving, you know, moving to the cloud, you're already putting th things in containers. Once you start having more than two or three containers and con containerized apps, re then really start digging into Kubernetes and container orchestration. And um, and I would, you know, get to the point where you can get through that Azure Kubernetes workshop as mm -hmm. a team. And it's probably a couple weeks of, of study and practice and then just going at it and making yourself do it. And then take a step back, assess where you're at, and, and you know, keep checking back in to see if you're focused on actually solving real business problems or if you're just kind of playing with fun toys. Um, and proceed forward accordingly. If you want to keep playing with the fun toys, by all means, <laughs> that's what developers do. No, that's great. Great, yeah. great, great advice. And we yeah. definitely would love to have you back on our show to get deeper into it and maybe go through that next journey after somebody has, you know, taken that path through your zero, uh, zero to Hero program. I love that. So thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure having you, and we hope to have you on our show again soon. Thanks so much. Stay tuned for another exciting interview just around the corner. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it in-person, virtual, on-demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Welcome back to Tech in the Right Direction. This week in our next-gen tech segment, I will be talking with Melissa Corrales. Melissa is an incoming ASU freshman at Barrett, the Honors College, and will be majoring in business law. She's also into politics and has participated in competitions on both the national and state level. Melissa is bilingual and fluent in Spanish. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks for having me. So let's get started. Um, so can you share with me a little bit about your interest and your journey through, you know, your maybe high school or even grade school years? Um, I know you didn't take a path to technology, so kind of take us through what interests you and, um, and why. I feel like almost the biggest thing that threw me into interacting more with technology was school mainly because you needed that to have access to research or to have access to different databases that just made my or pursuing my interest a lot more mm -hmm. easier and accessible for me. So I felt so, like that's why I started mm -hmm. getting more into technology when before I really just had seen it as a resource but not something that I really wanted to go into or ever really explore. So, so tell me, um, so you were thrown into it, you know, based on school. School requires you to have technology. How did you feel about that? Did you like it? Were you curious about it? Or did you say, okay, this is just something necessary that I need to do, but 
I'll just do what I need to do and that's it. Oh no, it was actually, it was really nice when our uh, high school went one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Last year, they provided laptops to all of the students that so we could use them in the classrooms. But what was almost alarming to me, it's something that had never crossed my mind, is that a lot of the student population didn't own a laptop or a home computer at home so that that one-to-one made it really easy to them for them to have technology accessible in their own homes, which was not something that I'd previously thought about. Mm-hmm. I have my own laptop and my brother has his own laptop, so having the school one was more of like, it's nice and it's there and I can use it at school, but it's not a necessity. However, when I talk to other kids about it, like for them, it was completely game-changing the way that they approach school and the way that every that technology helps them learn. That's really interesting. So when you got a laptop, did you um, did you just jump in with both feet? How did you learn to use it? How um, What types of things did you do with your laptop outside of school? The reason I got a laptop was I kept stealing my brothers to take it to debate competitions, and mm. he wasn't happy with that. So I got a laptop. I downloaded some uh, research software on there, and... Pretty much that's all I did with it. I'm terrible at updating it, but yeah. That's great. Um, So do you use it for fun at all besides your uh, debates and competitions? Yeah, I use it a lot for Netflix and just accessing social media. I'm not really big on like downloading games and stuff on it, but Mm -hmm. it's good for entertainment purposes. That's great. Um, So, you know, Obviously, technology is something you grew up with. It, um, you know, you got a laptop at an early age. Um, tell me, you know, if you thought about a business problem or a world problem that you would solve with technology, what would that look like? I would focus on making technology more accessible to the general public, mm-hmm. just because it's alarming the amount of people who don't have a stable internet connection and the amount of people who, if they do have that, they don't have access to like sophisticated technology such as laptops or home computers in their own homes. Like They have to travel to libraries or other places where you can, one, access Wi-Fi, and then, two, get your hands on technology that you might need for your everyday life. So, yeah, that's, that's a great, great problem to solve. I know the governments and... Uh, a lot of associations are working on getting internet access, you know, to every part of the world because there are some parts of the world that don't have that internet access. And we know today everything is in the cloud, everything needs internet access. So it is so critical for everybody to have that ability. And I think it was very interesting what you said um, that you know, when you have something, you take it kind of for granted. You thought, you know, everybody has a laptop. And then the kids that didn't have access to a laptop really found that beneficial uh, and grew their skill set quite a bit. So that's that's really interesting. And I'm so glad the school did that. Um, so, you know, tell me a little bit about, do you face any obstacles in technology? Uh, today, like, do you stumble on different things and say, this is a problem, and how do you overcome that? My biggest thing is procrastination on just updating the mm-hmm. technology that I have, so mm-hmm. it can be outdated at some point. 
And usually mm-hmm. my brother reminds me about it all the time. So procrastinating because uh, you don't like the change or you just don't have time to do it. So tell me, tell me a little bit why, what's behind that procrastination of not updating. I just don't think about it. Like to me, oh, okay. I, I understand that it's necessary, but I don't know. I feel like it still works and it still works. And when it starts to like affect other programs that I like to run on the computer, then I start to think about yeah. updating. But a lot of times it's just like purely I just don't feel like doing it. That, yeah. I know um, we have some employees as well as um, my husband is very uh, resistant to changing his computer because everything works the way it does. And every time an update comes in, you know, it moves things around, mm-hmm. it looks different, and he just doesn't like that change. So that's why I wanted to ask you. Um, so, you know, there, there, we're, we're struggling today with trying to get more girls and women into technology how what would you think uh we could do uh, from a um girls standpoint to really attract them into technology and keep them into a technology career because today those numbers are you know um declining so any thoughts on that definitely i feel like it's important to start little girls off with technology early on. I was really fortunate that my parents had introduced us at a really early age. I believe we had these old little like Mac computers at the age of five, me and my brother. Mm-hmm. So it was never that they would favor, it was never that they showed technology more to one uh, twin simply because he was a male. Mm-hmm. It was more that Ricardo just, my brother just took more of a, a liking towards technology than I did. Mm-hmm. And I feel like to really get girls into it and really get them interested, we have to teach them. And we have to show them that, hey, this isn't just something that your brother can use, or this isn't just something that is meant for guys to do. Like, you can do it too. Right. Right. So, really encourage it, encourage the learning and the teaching of it early on. Mm hmm. And I feel like uh, a lot of households might fail on that particular aspect because little boys are introduced to video games and they're introduced to computer games or game consoles on an early age and you don't see that as much with girls. It's changing, obviously, as the times are changing, but it's just something that we should probably think about. I agree. I think, you know, introducing it at an early age um, making sure it's teachable in the sense that, you know, it becomes exciting um, because we're still, you know, we see a lot of girls interested in technology, but we just need to build that pipeline to have more mm-hmm. girls into technology. So, yeah, that's great advice. Um, so, you know, through your journey and using technology on a daily basis, uh, what would you like technology to solve in the future? What kind of, you know, what kind of problem would you see? Uh, technology really making a difference? Well, technology really does help a lot us become well-informed. However, that can be something that will backfire, that can backfire later on when we get informed with the wrong type of news or wrong Mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that it's creating a much more educated population of citizens. Mm-hmm. Because we have this entire database of information just at our fingertips. 
So it's not like our parents who used to have to spend hours in the library just to research a paper. Like we can essentially, if a question strikes our mind, we can look it up and find the answer right in that second. And I feel like that's something that's really, really cool that technology is helping us solve. Yeah, and there's so much information today about anything and everything. You know, today we don't wonder anymore. We just look it up, right? Um, yeah. Wherever we are, if I'm wondering, like, how old is this actor or actress? I can just look that up. If I, you know, can't think of the movie that that person was in, that actor was in, I can look it up. It's just even through conversations, we can have the answers right at our fingertips. So you're right. Information is so important and uh, will continue to be important, but we got to make sure it's the right information, it's accurate, it's, um, you know, doing uh, mm -hmm. a good service rather than a bad service. So, yeah, very, very good. Um, so if you look forward in, um, in your career and you are going to be majoring in business law, very, very interesting and very you know, congratulations, it's a great field. Um, tell me how, how you're going to bring technology into what you do. Um, well, technology's been very useful for me, just as we've heard throughout this interview with the research aspect and to continue in a business law. They have, and just law in general, there's different uh, databases and pieces of software that you can download that just make it easier to keep files organize and keep information on hand. So it does cut down on the amount of work that you have to do, and it also helps you out keeping you organized and everything. That's great, yeah. So all the databases, all the laws, all the changes that happen so frequently are all accessible through technology. And, you know, it's everywhere you go. So you can be anywhere and you can have access to that data, which really, really helps. That's great. Um, well, Melissa, thank you so much. This was a pleasure having you on the show, and I hope to kind of follow your journey, and good luck at ASU at the Honors College. Very impressive. Um, so thank you again. Thank you. And now an exclusive offer for our listeners. From IT skill enhancements to end-user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction, your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To download this week's show or listen to past shows, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Past shows are also available at ewn.com.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com, as well as through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.